Welcome back to another episode of What the HR, an award-winning podcast. I'm Jesse Novi. And I'm Mike Toole. The What the HR podcast explores how to build people-centric businesses through modern practices and approaches. New episodes are released frequently, so don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any episodes. Welcome back to another episode. Today, we're joined by Angie Beeson, who is an HR professional at Hormel Foods Corporation. With 16 years of experience in corporate America, 13 of those being in HR. Uh, Currently, Angie leads a team of HR business partners that provide strategic HR support to business leaders. And throughout her career, she has held a variety of HR roles in compensation, talent mobility, policy administration, and then, of course, most recently in the HR business partner area. During her tenure at Hormel Foods, she has led the expansion of the HR business partner team and has been the driving force in Hormel Foods' investment in a child care center for its team members and the community. And that is exactly what we are talking with Angie about today, Um, a really fun episode Whether you are an HR professional that has been partnering with your business on maybe the idea of also building a child care center that could positively impact your employees or the communities in which you live and work, um, or maybe this podcast will inspire you, or maybe this isn't even on the horizon for you, but I really do think that um, Angie's story will be inspiring and really interesting. Um, And I think it's just an important story about how um, staying with something that, you know, planting the seed and sticking with it over a period of time, making sure you're pulling in the right stakeholders and um, really doing your due diligence to ensure that the decisions that you're making are right for the organization as well as the community, um, you'll find are uh, a really a key part of the story that Angie tells today. So if you are loving our guests and our podcast topics, please do us a huge favor. Head out onto your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a rating and review. Those rating and reviews go so far in ensuring that our podcast's episodes are getting in front of other HR uh, practitioners, other business leaders that could really benefit from our topics and our extraordinary guests. So as always, thank you for being a listener and enjoy your episode. All right, Angie, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, Easy way of getting started. Can you tell our audience about yourself, where you're working today? And maybe maybe talk about your career. I know know we talked a little bit before that you've been at Hormel now for a while, so um, that's made up most of your career. But tell us maybe the different roles and, and whatnot you've been with them. Yeah, absolutely. Angie Beeson, I'm I work for Hormel Foods. I'm currently a manager of HR business partners at our corporate headquarters based in Austin, Minnesota. Um, for those of you that don't know Hormel, we're a global branded food company with some iconic brands like Spam and Skippy, peanut butter and holy guacamole, Applegate sausage. We have we have a lot of good stuff. Um, my, my career, I joined as an intern in college because it was better than working at the local grocery store. And then uh, <laughs> they've, they've kept me this, this whole time. I'll be coming up on 16 years. Um, had a little bit unconventional path into HR. I started as a tax accountant, actually, at Hormel. I had an accounting and HR background in college and started here in accounting and then um, found out my true passion was really 
work in HR because it's just so meaningful and and gets you out of bed every morning knowing that you're making a difference. So that's that's been my career here. And um, I manage a team of business partners that that provide the strategic HR support for our corporate and sales functions. Awesome. Awesome. And, and yeah, being from Minnesota, I obviously know Hormel very well, but um, it's funny. There are so many brands associated with Hormel that like you mentioned Apple, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm sure there's there's a bunch more. So the, the reason that we're uh, we're getting together today is to talk about a new project that Hormel um, has taken on, and that is to provide a child care center to their employees, which I, I think is amazing. Um, it's something that corporations should get involved in more so. Uh, and I want to give our audience kind of maybe a a sneak peek into what's to come, but also kind of look back on how you managed to get this done. Um, I know that you were instrumental in it. So maybe let's start from the idea and and why you decided to go down this road. Yeah. So I um, happened to be the lucky one that got the assigned the project back about five years ago. Um, our, our senior VP of HR at the time continued to hear, you know, that child care was a challenge when it came to attracting and retaining talent. And we continued to see, you know, nationwide declines in childcare availability. And, you know, we could see that this challenge wasn't going to resolve itself. And so he just kind of on a whim was like, hey, can you look into what would it take to bring a childcare center into Austin? And that was really how this thing got started five years ago. Um, So I, I just started Googling and trying to figure out I don't know who provides these services, like who are the big players in the market and uh, landed on, you know, identifying a few big players. Um, finally, once we had a lot of conversations with some of those big childcare providers, um, and then we also realized that this wasn't just a challenge for Hormel. It was really a challenge that our whole community was experiencing. Um, Austin is, you know, we're we're fairly unique in the sense that we have a large corporate headquarters in a pretty rural area. So Austin's about 25,000 people in in southern Minnesota. And so that makes some unique challenges itself when it comes to maintaining, you know, the a childcare center because it's financially not as easy to do in rural Minnesota as it is in some of the metros. Right. Uh, so we we started having some conversations with the community as a whole and also internally here at Hormel and the community project um, we utilized a not-for-profit organization called First Children's Finance that really came in and helped kind of facilitate a community initiative that really helped raise awareness on how critical childcare is not only to early childhood development, but also to the economic development of the community. Mm-hmm. And I think that really helped get get the ball rolling. I mean, us in HR can see it, but it was harder to get that connection made with some of our business leaders. And so that really helped us gain the momentum where people could see, you know, this is this isn't just a parents issue. This is a community issue. It's a workforce issue. And it's ultimately an employer issue. Yeah. Um, so that's really how things got started. And then my motto the last five years of this project has been, hey, nobody's told me no yet. So I just kept <laughs> kind of pushing and continuing to raise the raise the topic in front of the leaders and continuing to, you know, ask, okay, what's next? Can I get your commitment? Let's go. And um, obviously things slowed down a bit for COVID, but then we, I think the biggest thing I learned was 
just don't give up. You know, if nobody's told yeah. you no yet, just keep charging forward. And, and eventually um, it, we got enough support and we certainly couldn't have done it without the support of our senior leadership team. I mean, our, our CEO, a lot of credit to him that he, he recognizes the importance of providing this service to the team members and to the community as a whole. And so we were able to break ground just a couple weeks ago. Wow. And how, so you're, you're building this facility um, you kind of Googled it in the beginning. So for, for our listeners who may be interested in, in something like this, so you are essentially contracting out the child care, right? But yeah. can, can you talk a little more about kind of how that works in terms of you, you found a provider, but then you guys are providing the facility? Yeah, it, you know, there's a lot of different ways. What I learned is there's a lot of different ways that this solution can come to life. And that's mm-hmm. what makes it a hard problem to solve is because every community has different resources available. They have different needs of, you know, childcare in the community. And so there's no like one size fits all perfect solution when it comes to childcare. So what we had to really figure out is what was the solution that fit our needs and our community. And we we're we're a food manufacturer. We know how to make food. We don't know how to run a childcare center. And we recognized that really early on that we were in a space we were not experts in. And so that's why it was so important to find a really great partner that brought that childcare expertise to the project. And so we've, after doing a lot of research, we, we've partnered with Bright Horizons, who is a childcare provider that actually operates globally, but has a, over a thousand centers across the country. And they really partner specifically in, um, corporate childcare partnerships and and running on-site or near-site childcares. And they've been instrumental in the success of this because, like I said, we we just didn't know what we didn't know. And right. being able to bring them in, they, they were able to guide us and say, okay, here's what we do first. Here's what we do next. Watch out for this. Um, so they've been great. Uh, they will they will be the operational arm of the child care center for us. So they will employ all of the staff. They'll do the hiring. They'll do the personnel management, the all the back of house operations, you know, accounting, finance, legal, insurance, all of that stuff will be theirs to manage. Um, they essentially charge a management fee that we'll pr- we pay that. And then um, we cover any subsidy or or if there would happen to be revenue made from the center, we would get that. Um mm-hmm. Like I said, in in rural Minnesota, that's not going to be the case. We're we're definitely as a company going to be subsidizing the center on an annual basis in order to keep the doors open. Yeah. Um. But but Bright Horizons has been really instrumental in helping us get this thing off the ground. Mm-hmm. So I think some of the the pros to doing this might be kind of obvious, just from like an employee experience perspective, and some of the things that you've mentioned already, Angie, especially as it pertains to being in a more rural area mm-hmm. and having less resources available for your employees. But I think um, what could be really interesting for our listeners is to hear about the cons and the risks associated with this decision. Yeah, really great question, and and definitely a question that was at the forefront of our business leaders' minds too, because we're we're heading into a space that we don't have experience in, which I think is probably the biggest risk. Like there was, it took a lot of convincing to gain their buy-in that this is the direction that an employer needs to head, and this is what's going to help us sustain our workforce. Um, so I think one of the risks is just 
the the leaders being hesitant because they they don't know what they don't know in that space and you have to really do a lot of educating and getting you know kind of pre-selling and getting them on board in advance of you know the ask it, like I said for us it took five years I, there's other companies that couldn't that have done it quicker for us it was it took a lot of you know convincing like because it it is a big financial commitment. I mean, we are building the building. It's a $5 million capital project. Um, obviously, a company has lots of places they can put their money, a lot of things they can invest in. And so you really have to make the case of right. why is this it? Um, and then I think the other risk that we heard was from a from a community and a, and a team member standpoint, there was concern about, you know, hey, the parents that can utilize the center will be super excited about it, but what about the people that don't have kids or what about the other community childcare centers in town? Is this going to make them feel like they're excluded or is this going to be, you know, competitive and shut them down? And so we really had to help everyone understand that this project's for the greater good of the community. It's not, you know, we're not trying to corner the market on childcare. That's not our game. <laughs> we're trying to really add capacity to the community. And so we're not coming in like with a typical business mindset of run everybody else out of business. We want everything. No, this is really a collaborative initiative in the, in the community to, you know, make the community better by providing more options. And what, what we've heard from a lot of team members is, you know, even those without children, they've said, hey, I see what an issue this is. I have grandkids or I have a coworker that's really struggled with finding childcare. I can see how much it stresses them and how how challenging it can be. And so even what we've learned, even the people that don't directly have children can see the need for this. And they haven't been critical from a stance of like, you know, why are you supporting that? It The need to them has been pretty clear and we haven't really gotten a lot of constructive feedback from that, but it was a concern going into it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and I imagine from like a compliance risk, Bright Horizons and partnering with them is offloading some of, of that, right? And that may have been yeah. one of those, one of those factors. Absolutely. So, and we, um, we definitely looked at the you know, safety and track record of all the providers right. that we were working with because we know how critical child safety is and how how much of a hot topic that is. And we wanted to make sure we were partnering with somebody that was providing a quality of service that is what we would want to invest with in our in our team members. Mm -hmm. Jess, did you have any more questions on that like compliance piece, kind of or risks, I should say? Not necessarily around compliance, and but maybe just a little bit more from a due diligence perspective. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm assuming maybe demographic data and not not only demographic data of your workforce at Hormel, but were you taking in consideration and or working with third parties on like what's the demographic of the Austin community going to look like, you know, over the course of the next 10, 15, 20 years? And and if so, was that in partner, was that demographic data pulled in partnership with a nonprofit you were working with? Like, where were you, where were you getting your, your data points? And what were some of those data points that you were gathering to determine if this was going to be, I don't want to say necessarily an investment, because we know that right. that was necessarily the goal, but maybe um, you were going to get a little bit of a return on your investment from an employee experience and from a usage experience. 
Yeah, the the data was critical in in selling it into our leaders, and and the data that we used, um, for some of it came from First Children's Finance, so they're a not for profit that really specializes in helping build childcare capacity and main you know provides quality, stable childcare. They did a basically supply and demand analysis of the um, area, and were able to show by zip code, here's the gap when it comes to here's the amount of kids under the age of six, here's the available supply of of childcare slots, and here's what the gap is. And so that was really eye-opening um, for a lot of people because it we had a we had a shortage of almost 700 slots, which you know that doesn't mean we need to build a child care center that that has 700 slots, but what that means is it's a really strong directional indicator that there is a significant shortage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was kind of the first thing that helped us, you know, kind of validated like the the anecdotal stuff we're hearing. Like that was our first data point. We then also did some employee surveys internally. So we we surveyed our own team members. We did some focus groups with our plant professionals to understand, you know, what are the actual needs now, but also to your point, how many of our team members were planning to start a family in the next three to five years so that we could get kind of a directional indicator for the the need is going to be sustained in, internally. Um, so we, we utilized some of that data. And then once we partnered on with Bright Horizons, they were able to take our employee demographics, the community demographics, and put it through some of their algorithms and we're able to to spit back out like based on the community size, how far people live away from the community or you know what's their commute, um, the demographics, the you know ages, all of those things, they were able to really give us a good estimate of here's what we think the demand will be in your workforce. Um, and so we were able to take that and and take our employee surveys, and they thankfully were pretty close. And so it really made us feel better about, are we getting this right? Um, because we ultimately, one of the first decisions we had to make was um, how big of a center do we want to build? Because that has a direct impact on the financial um, feasibility of the project. And it's you can't get too big because it still needs to be a, a very personalized service and you want to make sure that families feel individually valued and not just part of a big machine, mm-hmm. but you also can't have it too small because you still want to capitalize on some of that economies of scale. Um, so we had to kind of hit that sweet spot and make sure that was going to be in line with what our needs were. Um, so we we landed at a center capacity of 130, which um, 30 of those will be school age and then 100 will be uh, below school age with with 60% of the slots dedicated to infant and two-year-olds, which is our biggest need by far. Yeah. And then my last due diligence question was, um, did you reach out to any other corporations that offer these services um, to just find out kind of pros and cons of their experiences? And, And if you did, did you find that part of the due diligence helpful? Yeah, we, we were able to, Reached, we reached out through a few share groups. You know, some people had HR connections of places that offered other childcare. We so we leveraged some of those just kind of informal conversations at first, and then we were also able. Um, Bright Horizons has other clients in Minnesota, 
And so we were able to go to their center and talk to them about their experience of, you know, how did yours come to life? What were the lessons you learned? What are the watchouts? You know, is it worth it? Would you do it again? Um, so I I do think it was really helpful um, just to to help uh, understand what their journey was and and make sh- just kind of see it all come to life. I think that was really helpful in in having that vision of what it could look like from the start. All right, so I have a bunch of questions as you were, you were talking. Um, first, in, in terms of usage, you mentioned for the community. So is this a combined community and Hormel Child Care Center? Yeah, we we will provide our Hormel employees with preferred enrollment. So they will get priority enrollment. Mm-hmm. And then if there's any capacity that's not filled up by Hormel families, we will open that to the community. Because we we really, like I said, it, it wasn't just a Hormel issue. It's an Austin community issue. And um, yeah. as, a, as a large premier employer in the community, we really felt obligated to help bring that solution, not only for us, but for the community. And then from an employee perspective, what and share what you can, obviously, um, but what could an employee expect in terms of a discount compared to going to a different child care center? Like how much are you subsidizing for these employees? Yeah, that's a good question. We we are going to be providing our employees with a preferred tuition rate. Mm-hmm. That tuition rate is still going to be competitively priced based on the Austin market. You know, so a lot of the company subsidy is going to come kind of behind the scenes and the operational expenses sure. and and just closing the operational loss that we know this is going to incur. Um, so the the tuition rates will be competitively priced for the market, okay. but Hormel families will get a lower tuition than community members would. Yeah. So preferred pricing there, uh, preferred enrollment. Mm-hmm. And then is this... Uh, are most of your employees on site? Is this is this like right there? So they're going to work and it's very convenient, right? To basically bring the kid to work with them and drop them off. So we, that was part of um, our journey that took a while was trying to decide the right location because, sure. you know, a lot of corporate campuses are are centralized and you have one campus. We're a little different in that nature that we have. We have several different buildings of our corporate campus, as well as our largest manufacturing facility. Granted, they're all within a five-minute drive of each other, but when you say on campus, the next question is, which campus? Sure, <laughs> Because yeah. we're spread out. So what we what we really landed on, we evaluated um, being attached to our main corporate headquarters. We evaluated some other op- options. And what we really landed on was actually uh, a site that is I'll call it near all of our campuses, but it's closer to kind of the retail corridor of our community, which we found to be really convenient for parents, you know, who need to run to the grocery store or run and pick up mm-hmm. dinner or, you know, do errands before and after you drop off. Yeah. And it it's a nice central location in town near the main interstate, things where, you know, you can get in, get out quickly. So we we had to evaluate a lot of different options and we ultimately landed on that one. Um, mm-hmm. But that's part of the, the trickiness of this is, like I said, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. And so some of the sites that we we toured were on-site right in the, you know, the main corporate building. And so we had to decide, was that what was best for us or was something different, what worked for us? And we we all 
ultimately opted on a near site center that's more in a retail corridor. Yeah, and that sounds, I, I think, ultimately, if, if I'm an employee, right, putting it right at corporate, if you have different campuses all around, putting it at corporate, I don't know if it sends a wrong message, but it sends a message. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So I, I think you guys were thoughtful about that and, and came up with a really good solution. Um, the other question I have is we talked about, so COVID delayed things, but COVID also put a lot of daycares out of business. Mm-hmm. A lot of people shut down during COVID. I'm wondering if that um, elevated the business case, essentially. Like, did it kind of propel you guys? Say, okay, now it's an even bigger issue than we had a year ago. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we we had to pause just from a from the uncertainty standpoint around we yeah. didn't know what was coming from a business you know angle and and that's obviously our first priority is to deliver our business results. But once we kind of got past that initial like what was happening from a business standpoint, we were able to really say, look at, this is a great example of what a critical component childcare is into sustaining the workforce, sustaining the community development. And it it did, it really highlighted, I think probably a a service that had been long taken for granted because it was just always there and always easy and reliable. And um, we were able to, you know, sometimes it takes, you have to feel the pain a little bit to realize the value and we felt the pain of people not having childcare and and not having a place to drop their kids off and trying to balance parent duties with work and the impact that can have on people's well-being and it definitely helped us build that case for this is a critical component for attraction and retention of talent yeah that that feedback that you guys got around just the difficulties of childcare was that done through a survey or like, like, how did you collect all that data and and pinpoint? Were they direct questions? Like, do you struggle with finding childcare, or was it some other answers within those surveys where you guys are thinking like, this is related to flexibility? Yeah, we we asked pretty direct questions in our employee survey. Um, so we we asked questions like, you know, did you have trouble finding the you know, finding childcare availability. Um, how satisfied are you with your current childcare arrangements? Are you are you currently unable to get into your preferred childcare center or you know provider? So we asked some pretty direct questions around: Could they find what they needed? How satisfied were they with the quality of care that they were getting? Um, and what would their need be in the future? And so we were able to kind of gauge feedback that way to say, you know, we our people did have problems finding it or they found it, but they're not really satisfied with the quality. Um, sure. Because, again, it parents all are a lot of times are looking for different things when it comes to child care. My my first one, I was super first time parent, overly protective. And I'm like, she can't be in a big center. And so I wanted in home. And that's what worked for me for my first one. In my second one, I got a lot more comfortable with childcare centers. And I'm like, yep, this is better. I like the structure. So it it just goes to show that you need a variety of options. And what the data and the survey provided us is we just didn't have a, a variety that met the needs of our, our team members. Mm-hmm. So to piggyback off of that survey question, so that was obviously surveying your existing employee base, but were you also hearing things through 
your talent acquisition team as they were screening candidates for positions on, you know, hey, this would be a great benefit to help us attract candidates as well? Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm glad you asked because I keep talking about the attraction and retention of talent. And and when it comes to attracting, it's it's not only attracting new team members to accept offers with Hormel, but also we have um, offices across the country, coast to coast. And so we're constantly trying to attract talent to take transfers into Austin for corporate experience and development and career building. And so we were hearing it from both ends, really on, you know, trying to attract talent into Austin and getting them, you know, to join the company. We would hear from from parents to say, you know, what options are available? I'm concerned, you know, it doesn't look like there's a lot of availability. I'm going to have to live in a community nearby and then I'll have a commute. Um, And then we were also hearing that feedback from our existing team members saying, no way, I I don't want to move to Austin. I've heard there's you have to be on a childcare wait list for nine months before you can find a spot. And so it was, we were hearing it from, from both sides, from attracting external talent and also just attracting people to move into our corporate office. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious what, have you noticed any difference in the culture since you guys have announced this? So it was, um it was kind of interesting. We, we first announced in 2019 internally saying we're going to commit to doing something to to address the child care availability in Austin. We didn't really say what the something was necessarily, but we committed to saying we're going to do something. And it was shortly after that that everything hit with COVID and we had to pause. And um, so we it was what was interesting to me is that people did not forget that. And I think it was just another sentiment of like how much this topic means to people is I would continue to get questions. I mean, almost on a weekly basis of, Hey, are we still doing that? Remember when you guys announced this, what's happening with it? Where is it at? Um, So the, the sentiment when we finally were able to say like, here, it's really happening. Here's what we're doing. Here's renderings of what it's going to look like, you know? And um, I think it, it was kind of um, a reality, like making that actually a reality. Like we said, we were going to do something and it took us a while to get there. Um, but there's there's a lot of excitement and from, especially from our younger parents that are mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm pregnant with my first born. I'm not sure, you know, how I'm going to get into a childcare center. When is that opening again? You know, yeah. so I get a lot of those kinds of questions, but they're they're definitely excited about it. I love that because we've talked about survey results quite a bit. I mean, it seems to come up a lot just because it's a good indicator of what people do next. And sometimes a lot of companies actually are careful what we say, right? Because they're going to hold us to it. Mm -hmm, So I love that you guys kind of went out and made a conscious effort to say, we are going to say that we are going to handle this knowing that those questions would probably come. And maybe you were surprised that people didn't forget, but when it comes to childcare, I feel like people don't forget things like that. Yeah. Um, Jess, did you, uh, I'm going to ask a, kind of a different question. So if it's still mm-hmm. on that topic, you can go ahead. I was just going to create the, or make a comment that because the timeline was so long, it's been five, I think you said five years. It was It's good and interesting to hear that there was still so much excitement because obviously if you're you're pregnant, or thinking about becoming pregnant, 
when it was first announced five years ago, your life now with your four or five year old looks a lot different. Like you're not needing mm-hmm. childcare anymore. You have a kind, a potentially a kindergartner on yeah. your hand, right? So the fact that you had people that maybe weren't even thinking about having kids, and now five years later they're like, oh, this is very applicable to me. I remember that the, that this was mentioned. Where are we at with this as an organization? So just wanted to create that comment or make that comment. And then, Mike, I don't know where you're going with your next question, but um, whether this makes sense to answer it now or later based on what Mike is going to ask, I'd like to talk about kind of the communication and change management plan that you have to roll this out once um, the facility is up and ready to start taking applicants or customers, Mm -hmm. if you will. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I can talk about that. So, um, that's one of the great things that Bright Horizons brings to the table is a really good best, best practice in communication, um, enrollment practices, kind of here's what the best practice timeline looks like. Uh, so we're leaning on their expertise quite a bit when it comes to that piece. We we have set up um, an internal kind of intranet page where people can get, you know, just put their name on like a, a mailing list essentially to get updates on the project because we won't start true enrollment until you know closer to about five months out from opening um so trying to you know trying to just keep people that want to know able to you know hear what's happening what are the you know what are the recent developments um and then we we're going to be starting so in October, we're going to start with some kind of information sessions or you know Q and A sessions, and the first session is going to be with our HR teams, because really we need to start with them so that they understand what is this benefit, what does it mean to our team members, you know what are the ins and outs, all of, all of the tactical questions we need our HR teams to understand so that they can help us sell it as a benefit, as a great perk. They can help you know, garner some utilization of it. So we're really going to start with that. And then once we once we get the HR teams on board, then we're going to start rolling out some information sessions to parents so that parents can start to hear who is Bright Horizons, what is the service, all of that. Um, and then we'll we'll start with the enrollment process, like I said, about four or five months out. Is it open? Yeah, we are gearing up for an April of 2024 opening. So that's like one year. That's how long it takes. Yeah. So it's um it's really more about the construction process. You know, yeah. it's, it, there's still supply chain challenges that are happening out there, and so the the construction component of it is what's taking a little bit of time to get the building up and running. And um, we'll bring on we'll we'll hire our center director about six months ahead of opening, and then we'll start staffing up, and then we should be ready to go to start. Um, having kids in by the end of April. Outside of um, obviously providing the child care services predominantly for those that, you know, five and under, you know, um, age, which is pretty common for those types of facilities. Was there anything else that you all considered or was important to the community, such as providing services for like school age kids on Mm non-school days, um, things of that nature. I I know you said that the facility holds, um, it was like a hundred and some students. 
um, which doesn't provide a lot of flexibility to like be bringing in other students that aren't normal um, members of the school. But just curious if, if those conversations ever circulated and what some of the thoughts were around them. Yeah, so so of our 130, we'll have 30 spots for school age kids. Our school age programming right now is is going to be um, summer programming and like schools out programming. So spring break and days like that. We're we're still kind of debating on if we provide before and after school care. Uh, there's some logistics around busing services and transportation that we need to work through. So we're we're feeling that out. Um, from a operational standpoint, the school age programs and the older kid programs are really where you help offset your expenses because there's a, a lot more favorable kid to teacher ratio. So you can you have a lot less overhead in those classes. Yeah. So there's a definite financial benefit to providing those services if you're able to. Because when you start to get into the infants and toddlers, you lose money on those because you have like four infants for every teacher and it's the infrastructure and the overhead is just so much that you're going to lose money there. You make it up with the with the older kids. So we're definitely looking at, you know, what are what are the school age programming that we can offer? And um, we know that there is a need for before and after school care. We're just trying to figure out if there's logistically if we can do it. Um, I would say the other thing we looked at was, so our center is going to run a, a fairly traditional like first shift hours, like a 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. kind of schedule. Um, because we have our largest manufacturing facility in Austin, we did talk about should we think about running expanded hours? And this kind of gets into that. We just didn't know what we didn't know. So we asked the question and we started to learn that um, it's because of the way centers centers are regulated, you have to have students in their appropriate age groups for a majority of the day, which makes it really challenging to run on a second or third shift unless you can really fill your capacity, because otherwise you have so much overhead that it financially makes it really impossible to operate. Um, so again, it gets back to that, you know, this isn't ever a one size fits all solution and, and our our program that we're offering isn't going to solve everyone's needs in the community, but it's a great step forward. And um, so that was, you know, the second and third shift care is something we talked about and ultimately decided it, it wasn't right for the center we're building, but we're continuing to talk with other providers in the community to say, you know, how can we help support them to provide that service so that, cause we do know it's a need for our families. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you probably know more about child care centers than you ever thought you would. <laughs> yeah, this, <laughs> right? this has definitely been an interesting journey. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like from idea to concept, it's it's not just satisfying that need. It's it's like the logistics behind everything. And mm -hmm. to your point, not what you know, what do you not know? And asking those questions, so it's it really is unbelievable that you guys got to the point where you're at. Um, Jess, do you have any other questions? No, I'm good. This has been great, Angie. Thank you awesome. so much. Yeah, I think as a way of kind of ending it, I, I hope that our audience is listening is like, I want to talk to her about this. Um, and if that's the case, how can people reach out to you, you know, social media or direct email, whatever you feel comfortable with, but let everybody know how they can get in touch with you. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'd be I'd be happy to chat about it. Um, you can reach me on LinkedIn. Looking, just look for Angie Beeson, and I check my messages out there. So feel free to shoot me a note, and I'd be happy to answer any questions and help you along on this journey as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Angie. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank Thanks you, for Angie. having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHEHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode. 